0: What a, what a,
1: screamer. a, goal. a
2: back in it. Here's Lippa, lines it up, finds the net.
0: In front. Individual errors nearly cost us the game, leaving us forced to rely on Lacazette and Aubameyang to bail us out. Now you tell me which game that's from in the last 12 months. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, you can man, Twitter, Yankee Gunner, and we didn't lose the Derby, but we didn't win the Derby, and it's it's real frustrating because, once again, it's just, just stupid mistakes costing us in a game we could have won, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a more analytical way than I have already begun the podcast, but housekeeping. Yeah, we're going to do that first. Over on Patreon. So I didn't get to watch the game live, which meant I missed the chat on Twitter and I missed the chat on Discord. And that's kind of like my pub, my local, where I get to share my thoughts with all of you wonderful people. And so because I didn't do that, I just recorded me watching the whole game. So over on Patreon right now, if you want to rewatch the NLD and experience it through the mania, the hysteria that is my reaction, I actually thought it was quite measured. And I think you will take away good things from it. But you will also laugh at me as I lose my mind. So you can do that over on Patreon. You can join the Discord chat where Giant Cooner has uh, posted his phenomenal uh, stats review of the game always uh, a great feature that i look forward to every week and then last but not least and i know some of you are sick to death of hearing about it and if you are i totally understand but the athletic gave me a chance to write for them i am forever grateful they did give us a chance to speak to amy lawrence on the pod we're going to be speaking to other uh shall i say prestigious guests down the road and so i'd be remiss if i didn't remind you that if you do sign up for the athletic.com forward slash arsenal vision you help the pod you help our relationship bringing great guests on here of course you help them too but uh, we, we do appreciate it, and, and I apologize if hearing about it, because they, they've really, I know, done a media blitz, and, and so you're hearing about them a lot. But if you do want to support uh, their great journalism— Cox has
3: just done a great uh, tactics blog on it that yep, everybody yep. should read. And there's
0: a great article about Ganduzi on there, and Amy Lawrence wrote a brilliant piece about Torreira. So there's at least—you know, there's good stuff there from good writers, if you forget about me for a second. So theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision. You help us, you help them, and we get great guests on here like Amy. So moving on. Paul, you already heard him, so I might as well introduce him. He's on Twitter. Pause in my pants. i Pause. Woohoo! Uh, Clive's on Twitter at clivepafc. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Tim is back. The return of the Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Hello, Tim. Hello there.
2: All right,
0: Tim. Let's start with you. Um, I am a big believer that in the Derby, what you really need is leadership, intelligence, and experience. So, why did he start Granite Chaka? <laughs>
1: Well, he started Granite Jacker because he, he kind of always starts Granite Jacker, And I, you know, I think, um, you know, listening to the preview pod, I think actually did one of you waver and say he was going to drop him. I did. Um, yep. I yeah, wish, I yeah, wish yeah. casted
0: that. And, uh, in retrospect, <laughs> I do not feel bad about it,
1: but, <laughs> but I mean, pretty much everyone thought he was going to start right. We're putting aside mm-hmm. whether you kind of agree with it or not. That's, that's uh, all the available evidence tells you that he, he starts Granite Xhaka and, uh, I, I think what's kind of interesting is I still maintain this theory that that's not going to be the case for much longer. And given what transpired, um, maybe things will, will move on a little bit more quickly. But I, I still think he's got Genduzi earmarked for that position. But maybe he wants to settle a few other things down. Uh, a lot of other players have come, new players have come into the spine of the team. Ceballos, Luiz, Pepe, you know, th- these are big changes. And I think he's, you know, the granite ones on the tab, Um, And I know a lot of people uh, and, you know, understand the. I've had some kickback on that theory and a lot of people kind of don't agree with it and said, but yeah, but he always starts him. Um, But, you know, he always started Iwobi and Mkhitaryan for a while and uh, look where they are right now. Um, So, you know, I think Emery can be a very keep your friends close and your enemies closer type of manager, really. Um, and yeah given, given the respective performances of of genduzi and Xhaka, uh, maybe my theory will come to light a little bit quicker than i thought I, i'm still not sure um but yeah it's it's a shame really because you know Xhaka, he he has actually started the season quite well i th- i thought he was good against burn uh, against newcastle um i thought he was good against liverpool i thought he was the absolute least of our problems that day um to be quite honest with you um, and, you know, was, I've been trying to watch him this season without like um, the confirmation bias swirling in my head, you know, because basically there's the emotional um, reason to drop Jacker, which is that he keeps fucking doing this and he keeps costing us and he cost us against Brighton and he's caught, co- you know, he cost us against Tottenham and all of the emotional torpor that builds up. But there's like the good and that's that by the way is not incorrect when I say that's an emotional argument I'm not saying it's therefore invalid it's very valid um but there's also like the logical tactical argument which is that you know maybe he just does things a little bit too slowly and he's you know he's not really suited to the Premier League and things like that so um yeah it's it's just it, it it's another it's more it's it's more grist to the mill, you know with Jacker. you feel like the worm's really turned with the fan base. He used to be a divisive player, he's not a divisive player now there's like a consensus has formed and once once that happens, it's very difficult to turn that round because that's when you know the confirmation bias does kick in. And, you know, I I was watching him in, in, in the Newcastle and the Spurs games closely. And I think I was watching him closely because I don't really want him there anymore. And I was trying to fight that urge. And then he just goes into that tackle and you just think, oh, granite, man, you you don't make things easy for yourself. And um, he's in this weird paradox, isn't he? Where he's kind of the captain, but there's something stopping Emery from confirming him as the captain. And on one hand, you do think he's kind of like a leader, but then he does these like batshit mental things, and and it's so random as well. That's that's the weird thing. Like you can't see it coming. It's it's just like it's just like a switch flicks at random moments. He's like a landmine, um, you know, just. It, it's it, it's very very difficult to figure out why it happens to him um but i think you've just got to assume that at this stage that that stuff is just completely baked into his dna and um you can't get rid of it uh i don't think at this stage and and for all the talk of him being a leader um he he blows up too much to be a leader um yeah. for my money and and i don't think I don't think we have to worry about like gradually phasing him out the team because when has this team ever been settled under Unai Emery? Is it ever going to be like, I don't think so. I don't get the impression that he's going to settle on anything Mm. that we're going to keep going through this like chameleon thing. So I, I don't really see the, like, I don't, I don't, I don't consider it a disruption um, because, like, we live—the team lives in a constant state of tactical kind of change and disruption, if you will. So I just—I just don't see the point in uh, in delaying it any longer. And that's not to say I think you know he should be mistaffed and just completely banished. No, we play a lot no, of games, uh... and we'll need him, um, you know. But his place as an absolutely automatic pick j- just has to—not be, not even under question. Like there shouldn't be a question about it anymore.
0: Yeah, I got to tell you, I, I think the Arsenal diaspora has a very weird tendency to feel that they must identify that a player has positive qualities to offset the identification of their negative qualities. Every single player who plays professional football yes. has positive qualities. I mean, not Mustafi, but obviously all the other ones. I'm <laughs> kidding. And so identifying that, hey, he, he can pass. He, you know, he plays a lot of passes, and he, he can kind of long pass. Like, Of course he can. Or he would not exist in the footballing universe. But like, to me, one of the principal reasons you give a guy a captaincy and you play him at the base of your midfield every week is that guy, more than any guy in the team maybe, should be the dependable rock around which everything pivots. And I think (laughs) if Shaka has shown anything for any of his positive qualities is that he is not a dependable rock. Well, he's kind of a rock, but not dependable. And so... Once again, he blows up, and I don't think it was the only mistake he made in the game. There was a pass on to Pepe on the counterattack where he had the entire half of a pitch to play him into. It's the thing Shaka should be good at. He's given the ball quite nicely by Torreira. He's in acres of space, sitting in that rocking chair that that Clive always likes to talk about. All he's got to do is just ping it into the, the opposition half, and Pepe runs onto it, and he's totally free and uncovered, and he plays it right to the feet of a Spurs player limply. He had the two terrible fouls he gives away on the edge of our box. He was giving away fouls there instead of shuffling his feet like he always Mm -hmm. does. Look, I don't want to make this entire analysis about Shaka, but I do think that in modern football, you are only as strong as the player that is most vulnerable to you. And when I did the Liverpool podcast, I was a guest on a Liverpool podcast, it was interesting to me how much they were saying they thought they could target him if he starts. I I think he Mm -hmm. is a target, and I think opposing teams know that, and I, I just worry that You know, we look at it, this is a team that doesn't win games it should win because of players that make mistakes that professionals shouldn't make. And whether that was Mustafi, who's now out of the team, or Louise last weekend, or Socrates and and Shaka this week, that's what's holding us back. Clive, I'll come to you, I don't necessarily need you to defend Shaka because I don't think there's much point in doing it, but I will ask you what you (laughs) thought of the setup because I think... It was sort of a flat three. I think obviously Ganduzi thrived in it. I think Torreira struggled in it a little bit. And I'm sort of curious why Emery feels a little reluctant to use Torreira where it seems like he'd be a natural, which is at the base of that midfield. So in general, just looking at the the structure, I think people identified pretty quickly that it lacked connectors. Everyone was thrilled, of course, to see the front three, the PAL, the Pepe, Aubameyang, Lacazette front three. But it, it lacked connectors, and that sort of played out that way in the first half. So how do you feel about the tactical setup that Emery went with for this match versus maybe what we've done against them in the past.
2: Yeah, I didn't think um, midfield worked at all. And Guendouzi ended the game strong, but he was pretty average in the first half, if we're, if we're honest. Um, and Terreras and Gwenduzia, I thought they were both taking up a lot of wide positions i don't understand why because they were just a two spread out as as a three so they weren't connected as a three so at least when you're connected you can get some combinations going but they were being pulled all over the place and left so much space for for son to run into so i didn't like that you're now putting Terreira into big spaces and then when he's got big spaces play enough, he runs right the way into the box and takes him away from areas where he's really good when he can see the game in front of him and go and sneak up on people. So he played a completely different game. I think we managed to cante Terreira in this game. We've done exactly That's, the same thing. I'm so too. glad
0: you said that, by the way. That was the first thing that came to mind. That's a brilliant observation. Not not because I had yeah. it, but just because you made it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah we cante Terrera. We've now taken a player that's a sprinter killer in front of the back four, into playing him almost on the right wing and getting to the box and see what you can do. So we're killing him, and people are now questioning his talent, where he needs to be positioned differently. Guendouzi eventually, once once Serbius came on, I thought Guendouzi absolutely took over the game completely and just rose and rose and rose. He did some good defensive actions throughout the game. He's a hard-working player. you you know you know you know my thoughts on him I think he'll be our best player very very quickly and that could be happening sooner than sooner than even I thought you know so um so yeah he's on he's on the way out and and Shaka basically what he's doing he's he's just trying to lead too much and he He's sort of one of these players that when they're stressed, he feels he has to go and put out the fire. And the way he puts out the fire is by moving himself stupidly into situations where his skill sets or lack of skill sets are exposed. And so he's not being smart. And the reason why he's in most of our teams, when we try to pick the team or Emery's team, is because we think he, you are the older one, you are the one that should be leading the younger ones. But it's the younger ones that are leading you with their actions. And you are making people leave the Ground with the memory of your big mistake that's cost us 10 pints in the pub, right? That's literally what happened. And and so that needs to change. So I thought the midfield, the midfield three did not work for me. And I think on the end of this game, if, if there's, I think we learn a lot, maybe more so than Liverpool game, where we were tactically not bad, but in execute. This game, I thought tactically we were quite poor, but we showed a lot of heart and desire to make sure we couldn't be beaten. And I like a four-three-three in my mind area. I like it. But we are really heading towards a stick-on four-two-three-one morphing to a four-three-three with an active ten dropping in to make three in midfield on occasion for build-up and also connecting to the front three. We need that. So it's about finding the balance because we are losing. Bits of Gwendozi. We're losing bits of Shaka on a single pivot on his own, and we're definitely losing Terrera And we can't afford to do that. We've got Willa on the sideline; can also play in that double pivot. And we got two number tens that are going to want to play, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm saying Urzil and Sabias, um, and we got three forwards, right? So we, we need to think about the shape and think about what we've learned from this game because we didn't connect, we didn't cover space. We didn't have people doing the right jobs. You need a job. And I I think we had it too free, too easy, too much space, too much flow, not enough structure. And some of that could be because we were chasing the game and there was no structure to some of our play. But I think we need to develop something now where we say, this is what we are. This is the way to get the best out of our players. And it's time for us. To make sure we maximize the talent that we have, because it isn't a talent issue anymore, I thought this game was a tactical stu- stupidity, yeah compared to uh, I am much more upset about this game than I was about the three one defeat because we were stupid doing stupid things, playing with our heart, not our heads, running around like five year olds soccer team spending time on the right wing, trying to overload mm-hmm. it this was rubbish. Yeah. It was rubbish from a tactical point of view, but from a Derby point of view, and our refusal not to be beaten, it was absolutely fantastic.
0: Yeah, and I gotta say, I mean, look, ultimately, the one bit of sympathy I have for Emery is no matter what you get right or what you get wrong, you can't win when people make dumb mistakes. There's no legislating for incredibly stupid mistakes, and we just make too many of them. I, I know for years we were leading or near the top in... in uh, errors leading to goals. And it wouldn't surprise me if we are an, an early front runner there for their first goal. It's a Socrates error that is awful. It is compounded by a Louise. I don't know if you call it an error, just a bizarre caught in two minds decision between which run to follow. And then a Leno error that leads to the tap in. That is another Socrates error because he's not running back and he was too high up the pitch to come back and, and get the tap in. So did you a-
1: see um, Adrian Clark's breakdown? Yeah. No, I have I, not. What, what did he say? He, he he said about that goal he said like there are five mistakes in this goal and he highlights them one after the other which is quite incredible because it only takes about six seconds it's teamwork tim it's a commitment to
0: having no one player (laughs) catch too much abuse by multiple players making multiple mistakes but paul one of the things that really struck me and i want to get tactical here for a second because I i need someone to help me understand in the second half what i think worked is we pressed them higher up the pitch they can't play out Paul, the thing that struck me in this game is that Spurs are bad at football. They are not a good footballing side. Now, I realize they're missing players, and LaSalle's so coming in made a difference, and Ndombele missing is a big deal. But, like, they can't play back to front. The defenders are not comfortable with the ball at their feet. They had almost no midfield possession whatsoever the entire game. But we played a mid-block early, and I thought that really let them off the hook. It let them play those long balls over the top and put us in trouble with with long straight balls, which we struggle with because we have a bunch of idiots back there. So are you disappointed that we didn't press higher, which has worked for us against them before? And and I think the mid-block meant also that when we did have possession, the midfield wasn't connected to the front three. Later in the game when we played higher, and you saw Shaka playing in the opposition half, and, and the midfielders you know, further up the pitch, the connections happened. So for you, is the big miss in the first half the extent to which we gave them territory and sat off them a little bit in, in their defensive third?
3: Um, I think this was a game that came... It, too early, a derby that came too early for us, because we suddenly show up with uh, P-A-L up front, um, or I like to call it L-A-P, lap, and we want to see them dance, boom
0: um, You know, I, I want you to know yeah. something. Once you spelled it out, L-A-P, you didn't have to finish the joke. I don't think there's a single person listening or on this podcast that didn't that, know where it was going, but, <laughs> but uh, I'm glad you did it anyway. And I uh, break, It could be ALP, A-L-P and we reach the peak of, of our attacking prowess. But anyway, continue.
3: Uh, bummer the problem with the internet is you never get to make an original joke anymore um (laughs) so the nice thing was we had three separate areas of the field that weren't connected and all of them underperformed but it's really easy to see where they underperformed because none of them were connected there was not you know chakas floating around between defense uh well, he's not really connected to attack and he's definitely not connected to defence. The problem with analysing the game is it all goes to hell in a handbasket after about 10 minutes. We're rattled. we start chasing the game, then they get a second goal, so shit starts coming apart. I think it's a tactical mess. I don't think any of the pieces connected and if we were going to subtly begin to connect it as, as the game went along, uh, just the mere fact that there's the the derby, just the mere fact that you got 60,000 people urging people on. uh, There was no kind of growth or, or adjustment in this game. It was just hell for leather. And then on the other hand, you have these like, it was like being in a Chucky film. Every five minutes, there's like this terrifying scream from nowhere, which is effectively them hitting us on the counter. I just think it was a mess. And I think it's a little dangerous to go fast and loose <clears throat> with conclusions. But, hey, that's the business we're in. Um, and if if this had been a few games on and we'd started with the pal and we'd had a three-man midfield and adjusted it um, – then, then we might have seen some more f- finesse. Nothing really made sense here. Um, I think the, the centre-backs had just a terrible game from taking themselves out on that first uh, counter uh, where they got the first goal. I mean, both of them take themselves out of that play in, in just seconds. And I just think it's, it's a hot mess. And I don't know how hard you judge it because uh, how we... Sometimes when you're in a difficult situation, like if you've been getting driving lessons and suddenly the car is going over the cliff, you don't worry about your driving lessons and what you've been told to do and what's the correct sequence and procedure. I think a a Derby tends to turn it into a hot mess and this is what it was. But but in terms of actual analysis, yeah, uh, each area, uh, I don't think the front three worked particularly well together. I think Lacazette had this... For me, role or a a false formino role because he mm. did a both bit of both, and um, you know he kind Adrian Clark thought he did it well. Michael Cox thought he did it terribly. And I think the truth is, both are true. There were times he did really good, times when the touch was way off, and without him as a creator, then. I agree with Clive. I, I don't think Gendouzi had this incredible game. Everybody thought he had. I think he, he stepped it up in the second half uh, when he was switched to the right. Interestingly, and I think the yeah. other thing we shouldn't, whichever view you take on it, if you think he had a brilliant game, I do. Wouldn't one shouldn't forget that he had a brilliant game with Chaka at DM, not because Chaka was great, but maybe that kind of a structure with that kind of a player actually. Gives him a platform to do his thing. uh, So, uh, again, not particularly credit to Chaka, but on the Mm. quick point on the Chaka thing if we've canted Terrera, we need to Henderson uh, Chaka. Uh, I think we talked a little bit about this. This was on the Discord,
0: and I I hated it, but you want to expand on it?
3: Yeah, which is (laughs) uh, a a lot of the battle among the fans is an uh, an argument around Chaka where people are defending him, not some, and the other side is attacking those people who give him some defense, as you alluded to. I think the misconception is whether everybody thinks he should or shouldn't automatically be a starter. I would think the vast majority of people don't think he should be a starter, but that's the subtext to what, why fans get argue, arguing with each other. I think he needs to be Henderson, and by that I mean I followed quite a few Liverpool supporters a few years ago, still do. And they felt somewhat like Henderson, like the, we do about Chaco, where he was captain, where he wasn't that good. He certainly wasn't good enough, and yet he always seemed to get picked. And then uh, suddenly he started getting dropped and under Klopp. He plays when he's good enough and when it works. And that mm. is exactly what needs to happen to Chaka. And if he can get his head straight and work those errors out of his games, game, he probably can't. Yeah. But And cool his heels and realize he'll play when he's good or when the three he plays in are good. I think we'd all fucking mellow out on Chaka entirely. And he'd have a chance to kind of late Henderson himself where he finds a role and... And he becomes more mature, and he he plays within his limitations, and stops trying to do it all. And Clive's exactly yeah. spot on. Uh, his his biggest failing is a strength, which is he really wants to make a difference, and he doesn't mm-hmm. have the the wherewithal Correct. to yeah. make the difference.
0: I. You know the problem I have with that is I feel like, and don't get me wrong, I'm sure there are players that don't want to make a difference and hide on the pitch, and and that's a whole different problem. But like, if you're starting for a big club, you should want to make a difference, but you should do it the right way. Like, I don't think wanting not, to contribute. Not everybody has
3: a big personality. No, that's fair, though, and, and, and I get that. He certainly does. My, and and the great thing was we saw Gunduzi at the age of 20 displaying that personality with intelligence.
0: Yeah, and my only co- complaint with the Henderson comparison is. It's not that I, I take your point about finding a role. I just think the problem with Shaka is not that he's without technical merit, but I think in modern midfields, the running, the athleticism, the agility, those are, those are qualities. I, I, and I almost hate it. I almost hate where football's going, where it's all about pressing and counterattacking and transition. But, like, you'd probably choose an athletic midfielder over a technical midfielder these days. And I just don't, you know, I, I think Henderson can kind of do that, whereas I don't know that Shaka can. But, so, so Tim... I want to talk at and, and and the front three for a second. The first half was kind of kind of a disappointment, I think it's fair to say, with respect mm-hmm. to that performance. And there's a lot to unpack here. First of all, there's Aubameyang getting chalk on his boots for most of the first half. And it, as you know, I, by this point, I am broken record about Aubameyang and, and almost no one wants to hear it, so I'm going to go into it again. I just think <laughs> when you have a golden boot winner who has a goal in this game within three minutes of getting into the penalty area have zero shots for the first hour, and he's primarily the guy responsible with putting crosses into the box, that the system isn't necessarily maximizing the skill set of the players that you have on the pitch. And yet I'm sympathetic to the idea that getting all three of them on the pitch sort of means Aubameyang has to play one of those wide positions. I felt that the problem is that they never got close enough to each other. On the rare occasion... Where Lacazette and Aubameyang were near each other and the distances were good, they exchanged a few passes and Aubameyang almost got in on a a, a one-two with Lacazette and there were some nice little moves there, but they were often too far apart. We talk about Lacazette trying to play the Firmino role. Think about the Mohamed Salah uh, penalty against us last week. The ball comes in from a wide space into Firmino, one beautiful cultured touch to Salah, but Salah's within what, two yards of him running beyond? And Mm -hmm. we never really had those distances right. So how would you fix Pal... How would you fix Alp? How would you fix Lap? What what was not working that you think is fixable so that Aubameyang isn't getting chalk on his boots and Lacazette can can thrive a little more? Because I, I'm more in the Michael Cox camp that Lacazette struggled to distribute, but I think part of that is down to spacing.
1: I I actually I actually don't think he did. I so. I think with Lacazette, I think he, he, he linked up really, really nicely. The problem was where the midfield wasn't functioning. And as Clive alluded to, we kind of gave up the entire center of the pitch because we had Gendouzi and Torreira so wide. And I think we were kind of trying to mimic what Liverpool's midfield do, which is, you know, those wide players in the midfield three, they're the ones that go and sit in um, for the fullbacks. And um, yeah, I mean, it didn't really work for us. Um, I, I actually think Aubameyang played well on the wing as well. Um, I know I, I know there's there's kind of a resistance to the idea of him putting in crosses. He put in some really good ones, and he came very, very close to setting Pepe up uh, with a brilliant cross to the back post. Yeah, the Danny which, uh, Rose
0: block, the header rule out. Can, can, can I just ask, say, make one quick point there, and then I'll let you get right back on your train sure. of thought? I totally agree with what you're saying, but like, if Cristiano Ronaldo had a game where he played eight brilliant crosses and had no shots, mm. you'd probably say we need to use him de- you see what i'm saying it's not that he wasn't good at it it's that i'm not sure you're maximizing yeah. his his capabilities
1: yeah maybe not but um lacazette did score as well um from center forward yep. um from a nice little assist from pepe as well i think i think that was a quite an underrated assist actually the, the very deft kind of way he played the ball. But, I mean, obviously, Lacazette does a hell of a lot of work to get it in the net. So The second touch know, sco- is amazing, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't appreciate that until I saw it back. But, you know, he scored a goal as well, um, playing at centre-forward, combining with Pepe. I, I think the answer is is kind of twofold. I think, first off, that midfield just didn't work. So, Lac- all of Lacazette's link play was less about combining with Abameyang and Pepe, and it was more about giving an outlet to you know, the fact that our midfield was getting really pushed back and our you know our defenders were really really cut off, um, and you know Sun was just picking up all this space and it kept stressing us and stretching us, and so I, I think the issue is that, um, like I said, you know he was kind of doing the Firmino role but inside his own half, um, you know, and and ideally you'd want him to be doing the the bits and pieces he was doing perhaps 30, 40 yards further forward. Um, I, and, so I think there's a bit of tinkering needs to go on with the midfield to get that right. And that might just take a few games. And the same with the front three. I think it might just take a few games. Uh, you know, I think that um, Pepe and Aubameyang will swap eventually and you'll have Pepe coming inside and Aubameyang going outside. Um, and one going right, one going left. I think you'll get Lacazette kind of moving into wide areas. I think once that understanding builds, it will be quite fluid. My I, I think my concern is that and I was concerned. I thought he would do this with his team lineup. That kind of playing that front three almost scared him into playing, you know, a, a fairly conservative um, midfield three. So, and 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 I'm just I just kind of questioned that a little bit. That mm. kind of almost doing what we were doing with Lacazette and Abamyang anyway, and just cutting them off and making them an island separate from the rest of the team and yeah maybe having three of them cut off as an island separate from the rest of the team is better than two i still don't think it's ideal and i I hope that something that emery learned from this game is that um and 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 maybe it was just the opposition again but i really hope when we come to let's say he plays it against watford he plays that front three again or villa i really hope the lesson learned here is that and I i think i said this a couple of weeks ago that I think when you have got a front three like that, like maybe an Urzil or a, a pre, I think preferably a Ceballos because he does more of the kind of the number eight stuff. Uh, and I think he's a bit more kind of modern. But, you know, I said, I said a few weeks ago, I, I don't think it's the end of the road for Urzil tactically. I do think there's a space for him, mm. um, if only to, to kind of make those connections and, and you know, have, have like an, an interchanging front four um almost and and i think for most games we can we can do that and we can lean into that and i bet you'd see that urzil's goal threat um would go up in that kind of framework as well um so i i think it just i think it just needs a little bit of work a little bit of tinkering but i'm not massively concerned about it i'm not i'm still not convinced that it's like going to be perfectly balanced but i just think there's enough quality there that Um, I think that's the kind of issue you pick up when your team's nearly perfect, you know, a bit like when Arsenal bought Gilberto Silva and the team was basically complete, but they thought "Mm, maybe just a little tweak here. And we buy one player, and it's Gilberto, and that's it. It's completed the team. And and I think we've got probably other things that we can look at before we come to that stage of, of asking questions about this front three.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are certain things I pick out from this. I mean, we had nine shots in the first half. We had 17 in the second. Now, admittedly, you're chasing the game, so game state matters there. But I also think, you know how you connect the midfield to the front three? You just push everybody further up the pitch. Like, I, I really think mm. the only difference between the first half and the second half, so the Ceballos substitution aside, is that we played 10 yards further up, and instead of a mid-block, yeah. we played a high press, and they couldn't play out. And you drop them, the defenders a little deeper so that the long ball can't hurt you, and you, you pin them into their half. And we basically did what Liverpool did to us, to them, in the second half. Now, by the last 10 minutes, we looked knackered, and the game got really open, and we'll come to that. I want to do this. We'll take a break, and then I'm going to go to Clive. I'm going to read out... A couple of quotes. We're going to anal- uh, analyze. That's what we're going to do. We're going to analyze the front three again, and then we're going to talk about the second half and what went right and some takeaways from the game. Um, so, here's what we'll do we'll take a break. We'll tell you a little bit about the athletic. Um, so, you know, if you want to listen to that, we appreciate it. And if not, I totally understand. You can just tap, tap, and you're past it, or you can sign up for Patreon. You won't hear it because it's ad free episodes there every time. So, we'll take a break. We'll come back with uh, more on the Derby and, and maybe some positives. Why not? We could do that. Stay with us. Okay, it's time to tell you about The Athletic, the new home of football writing and a world-class sports website. You can get The Athletic for half off and a month trial right now if you go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision. You'll help the pod. And of course, you'll help The Athletic too. But that's a good thing because you will be at the new home of football getting world-class writing and the best coverage of Arsenal from writers like Amy Lawrence, whom we love, has been on the pod. David Ornstein, James McNicholas, also known as Gunnerblog, myself, but don't let that hold you back. The coverage of sports is unrivaled and there's no advertising to get in the way no clickbait they're not chasing ad revenue they're just trying to write great in-depth articles they've broken some incredible news they've had some incredible interviews loved the article about the eddie and katia load to Leeds and how that came about so there's a lot to like there try it out it's a month free and then if you stick with it it's 250 a month that's it so you can go to theathletic.com forward slash arsenal vision and try it now see what all the buzz is about go sign up now theathletic.com forward slash arsenal vision Okay, we're back, and I want to dive right back into it with Clive. Clive, I want to read you two quotes, okay? Do you mind? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That that wasn't a yes, but I'm going to do it anyway. Okay? Emery cannot simply send out a trio of holding midfielders and expect his forward line to win him the game. The pace and clever movement of the front three can do little when the ball only reaches them in isolated positions far from goal. Okay? That does sound a little familiar, but those quotes aren't about Emery at Arsenal. They're actually from an article a few years ago about Emery at PSG and his struggles to get the most out of Di Maria, Cavani, and Lucas. I knew it. So yes, because you've been in the Discord and because I sent it in, and because I sent it in WhatsApp. But you know, you're also very clever. But so my question to you is: For Emery, is this really the trick the whole season? The defense is only ever going to be as good as it's going to be. Is the trick for him to find the way, whether it's high pressing? bringing in a connector like Ozil, dropping one of the three is the whole trick for him. Finding a way to get midfield to connect with the front three so you get more shots. Look, the 17 shots we had in the second half, that's Arsenal football. That's how we need to play. But we have been shot shy. We have struggled to create chances. So for you, is the whole story here, getting the midfield and the and the, the attack to, to connect and to create chances?
2: There's lots of things going on here. I think, um, well, I think we've learned that... We've got more work to do with the 4-3-3, right, if we're going to go that way. And I'm not sure we're suited for that. Um, I think we have to move more towards a double pivot. I, and I do think that's important. I think the team is set up for a 4 four-two-three-one 3 one or a 3 at the back, I'm afraid. You don't want to hear it. We've got to have Pepe closer to the goal. I, I don't like where he's doing all his best work with chalks on the back of his boots. I don't like that he's got. A, he needs to do more inside. We have to think about making him far more fluid and be more fluid. I think we have to stop looking at Liverpool and start being ourselves. I think we have three very talented forwards and we have many talented midfielders. I absolutely get. When we played the three in there, I actually picked it. And the reason why he did that is he knows that Spurs are they're a running team. They're a strong team. So he picked the three players that he felt could protect our back four the best and allow our front three to do their stuff. But in the end, the position of those players was not clever. I don't think we knew where to stand. We weren't tight enough. We weren't compact enough. When we won the ball, we weren't connected. And we were just too spread out. We were just running after the wrong people. We didn't have... Uh, We had defensive-type players that liked to be behind the ball, running all over the place, running ahead of the ball, not being positioned to build up. So, of course, it became a basketball match because there's no midfield. You just got to go back to front, and that's what we did. I do look at Spurs, and I think they do this very cleverly. They turn it into a, a track meet. They kick the ball long and they run after it on the on the counter. They know they can outrun us on the on the on the reverse. And they played for that very well. Son is by far their best player, and he showed that. And and everyone takes off of him now. He's the one with the spark. He's the one with the movement. He can go inside, outside, he can shoot with both feet. He is a top, top-class player, and we struggled to contain him all day long. And so the structure needed to be much more compact in midfield. Tactically, I said we were better versus Liverpool. I felt I know we lost the game, but they're a very good sign. But tactically, I thought we were much more disciplined, much better. In this game, I never felt it. I didn't feel as comfortable. I'm looking at players, looking at their execution and thinking, OK, but this is a different game. This is a derby, right? We are 2-0 down. And from that moment on, all bets are off. This is like, roll your sleeves up. We need to get something out of this. They cannot come into our house and take the points. And from that moment on, it becomes, what do you feel like doing? Just Let's go and go and get the game. Let's get after them. I mean, it's literally Keystone top. Look at the Lacazette goal. We were just like four or five players swarming around the ball trying to get it back. They try to clear it. We get it. Guendouzi nicks in. We get it back into the area again. We keep it alive. That was, that's Burnley football. That literally is Burnley football. Keep it in an area. We get the ball. Great two touches from Lacazette. Goal. The talent is there. The tactical organization needs to be tuned. It, it's not there. And, we, and I do think with this level of talent now, and, and I'm going to sound a bit like you. Oh, good. I like do have, We do <laughs> we've got the talent now so we have to help them we have to give them a system that which they can work from and or or, or, at most two but we've seen two in the last two weeks i don't i'm not sure this can continue and then we can expect the game state and the players to just arrive at the same time and produce their best performance what we're finding is for some periods the game suits one or two players but it didn't suit enough for me in this game it didn't suit enough in the last game. We played players in the wrong position for me on the outside tips of a diamond. So we didn't quite commit. So we didn't quite commit to 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1. We didn't quite commit to a diamond last week, in my opinion. We got some of our good players on the pitch, but we didn't quite commit to the system by having the right type of athletes in the right position. And we did it this time as well. So I understand why he did it. I really did. I felt it was a strange game. But what I did walk away with The 4-2 last year, it was our best performance of the season, maybe with Valencia away. And I'm not sure we ever hit the heights again of that performance. I felt this time that the directionally trajectory has changed for the club. I feel there's a lot more to come. In, and even this in this team could, could just a lot for, for
0: my know. benefit could you identify like a, a couple tangible examples? That, just because i've heard you say it and i, I want to be with you i mean obviously other than not and i don't mean that like physically just i want to be where you are in headspace wise <laughs> like what what are some of the things that make the trajectory look good to you apart from just like we signed some good players this summer
2: okay well we've got we've got a different players in the centre of the pitch now so Gwendouzi's one year older he's looking like a player we're all convinced we we went a bit large on him starter last season he faded away second season I don't think he's going to fade away he just turned up at the France squad that's not an easy squad to get into so he is an up and coming superstar hopefully he signs a new contract and he's here for the next four or five years Torreira needs to find a position at the base of the midfield either as a single point of a diamond or part of a double pivot please not have him out on the canty side or the right his potential once he gets up to speed is more significant. Pepe at the moment is all about pre-assist, assist, good combinations, finishing touches lacking. We can all see there's left foot shot there, there's power there. He needs to work on his fitness. Hopefully I'll do this break he gets a chance to do that. The potential of that three is is really there. David Louise, funny enough, defensively brings a level of Oh, I want to say the worst composure because it's one good thing, one bad thing. But what does concern me about David Louise and, and I need to see it with my own eyes, is I feel that we're defending a lot deeper with him. And I think that's creating connection issues, are creating a big space. I think he almost plays for himself and he drops off so he can receive the ball in a lots of times where he can pass it. But actually, I want to see the lines closer together because I think we're a combination team and that combination is going. So David Luiz is one I'm looking at to see if our defensive line is not where it should be. I want to see us pressed up a lot more and trust our speed to get back or trust our ability to read when the ball's got no pressure on it so we can drop off soon. But let's not start too deep because it becomes a a trap meet and we don't do well at that. We haven't got the athletes to do that in centre midfield. But I do feel, directionally, we're going in the right direction. I do think the inclusion of the new couple of fullbacks is going to be a massive step forward. Yeah, that's for
0: going to make a big difference. Yeah. That,
2: that may not see out till Christmas. And I do believe, you know, we could be looking, while we're bedding in players, we could be looking at a three-at-the-back system to accumulate and bed in players and get them up to fitness between now and the Christmas period. And I wouldn't be against that, because what does it forces us our talent rather than being on the wing, they've got players outside them to do that job. And now we get a and Pepe closer to the goal. Yep. So we have to decide what we want to be and okay. what and what we're investing in. Are we investing in the three fours? If we are, let's get them narrow, let's get them nearer the goal. Maybe let's give them full backs that are really gonna press on. In Liverpool system they have three quite workman like system um, sorry centre midfielders, but they really are aggressive with their full backs. We have three workmanlike midfielders but Klasnik went, but I don't think Maitland-Niles did because Son pinned him back. So we didn't really get the, the width that we needed, the consistent ways of attack, until we just said, sod the tactics book, let's just go for him. And that's what we did. But I still feel directionally we are much better, much more, much more aggressive. So some quick passing, quick movement, quick build-up. We just need to cancel out the stupid mistakes so we can actually see where the improvement is.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's all really well said. And I, I think I have to admit the one thing about the back three, David Luiz is not distributing the way I thought he would. He's not taking the responsibility on the ball from the back. I think if you put him at the center of a back three, he's going to be a lot more comfortable. I think when you play with wingbacks, Maitland, Niles, and, and Cole are obviously more suited to that. And then if you do play 3-4-3, three, naturally Aubameyang and Pepe just get closer to Lacazette because the wing backs are going to push up the up the wide spaces and you can take your wide forwards and slide them in a little bit closer to the box. So that all works. You're not talking about picking two in the middle. And if it's Shaka and Ganduzi, no thank you. If it's Ceballos and Ganduzi or Torreira and Ganduzi, yeah, I can live with that. I do think where yep. ganduzi is concerned, he's kind of been a hipster choice. And I think getting called up to the French team, as silly as it sounds, I think it's going to make a big, big difference in the way he's perceived. Um I think it's great for his confidence and his development, but I no longer think he'll be a, a hipster choice, if that makes sense. Tim, actually, let me just ask you really quickly. You know, I think last season, sometimes when you praise Ganduzi you got written off as, oh, come on, he's not, he's not there yet. You're, you're overstating it. In the stadium in the derby did you get the feeling that people were starting to realize what what they had with Ganduzi? i mean it's i know it's hard to speak for a stadium full of people but do you think mm. that the uh, awareness and appreciation of the, the specialness of this 20 year old player is starting to catch on with people i mean the assist he had is brilliant he had a shot really well saved he, he just he took responsibility in the derby at 20 years old
1: yeah i i think this was um i it, for me, this isn't his first coming-of-age performance. I thought his first coming-of-age performance was away at Man City. It's just there were far fewer Arsenal fans at that game and we lost, um, which, you know, doesn't... Uh, therefore, those things kind of get forgotten a little bit. Um, I, I think I've seen him play like this a few times before. Maybe, um, you know, the final ball hasn't hasn't always quite been there. But this kind of forward-thinking, positive, always looking to get the ball forward into dangerous areas, I think that's the player we've been looking at for the last year. It, it might just be that this was the game where it came off more often than not. But I, again, I I thought he was quite similar against Burnley, um, to be honest. This was, he, he played the slightly deeper position that day. But I think this is largely what we usually see from him. May, maybe the execution was just a bit better on this occasion. But yeah, I I think so. I think, you know, nothing's going to endear you to Arsenal fans more than doing it in in the North London derby. Um, That that sticks. You know, stuff sticks in people's memories, right? And um, we we were talking about Xhaka earlier, and for any good that he's done, people are always going to point to that penalty against Brighton. Um, and it's the same with Jovino, you know, Jovino is kind of misremembered in my view as this like complete ass who was just always rubbish. And he wasn't, no, he was, nope. he was, com- he was wildly inconsistent, but you know what? That means he was often quite good. But the gif of that miss against Bradford mm. is, is just been replayed so many times that now everyone remembers this like completely hapless idiot who was always useless. And he wasn't, um, and you know, and so like and and that can work in a player's favour as well. If you just do it in the right kind of game, people remember it. And I think this and then immediately getting called into the French squad afterwards, um, a little bit maybe of the ill feeling towards Shaka as well, all kind of coming at the same time. Um I, I think his stock is starting to rise, but to be honest, as as brilliantly as I think he played um i think i've seen him play like this before um to be honest so I, I wasn't i i was maybe slightly out of step with the stadium because i i just thought that that was i thought yeah this this is the player i think you are and that you can be so um i you know i i had no surprises really
0: yeah well it it's just a phenomenal game and i i would actually refute the suggestion that he was Not great in the first half. I thought he was the one person taking responsibility to try to connect the thirds that he was stepping around Mm. pressure. He wasn't you know, a lot of times if we even feel a little pressed, the ball goes straight backwards. There was one where Sun pressed him and he's like, No, I got this. Stepped around him, stepped into midfield, distributes up the wing and and set us off on a really good attack. I, I just I just thought he was solid the whole game through. And you know, there was one where he split three defenders to get it a Lacazette at the top of the box, and Lacazette got fouled, and we we had a free kick that came to nothing. I think Pepe curled it just wide. But a lot of good, nearly contributions, and then, of course, the one decisive one in Paul. Um, I want to go through the two goals real quick. You know, it's used as a stick to beat Emery, and I kind of understand why, to be fair, that we just kind of rely on Aubameyang and Lacazette to bail us out from basically not playing well or not having a system or not having a plan or whatever. But, like... When you have Obama Yang and Lacazette, you know maybe that's not such a bad thing. So they do it again, um, and I think we played better in the second half than just saying they bailed us out individually. But let's go through the goals just real quick. First, the Lacazette one. I can't decide if Pepe means to play that ball. Um, you know, I watched it the first time like that's a great pass, and the second time I thought maybe it's like a weird scuff. I can't tell. Uh, Genduzi's obviously involved in winning that back as well, and then. Uh, and then Lacazette takes a first touch that I thought was kind of heavy, but in his stride, pulls it down out of the air for the perfect roof finish. That, to me, that's Lacazette more than, than he is Firmino. I mean, is it possible that we, we're trying to wish him into being Firmino because he's relatively strong in the ball and likes to drop deep sometime? but that really what he is is a ferocious penalty box goal scorer?
3: Yeah, I think he's a false Firmino. I think he has a little bit of that. (laughs) I'm going with that. I like that, yeah. Yeah, because the thing about Firmino is even if he did what Firmino does, can he do it at the rate Firmino does it? Mm -mm, I mean, the mm -mm. guy's a fucking animal, right? You look at the stats for Firmino. He's just – like just his busyness in a game. He's going to touch the ball twice as much as almost any other player in the premier league, trying to do the same thing. Lacazette is not that level of intensity. So you can get some of that out of him. We've all seen him drop deep. We've all seen cultured passes that he's got some vision. You kind of think, oh, this guy could almost play like a 10. Um, but he's also lethal in really tight spaces. I mean, the, 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 the short back lift, the way it gets the shot off. We've seen him bury it into the top right corner from angles where it shouldn't go in. I think, didn't he do it against Larice on that side? And now he's done it on, against Larice on the other side. He's mm. um, he's just he's, And the other thing I love about that goal, I think more than anything, is you just felt he knew... Uh, that he channeled everything he had emotionally into this thing. And he knew what he was doing. Not just, I don't mean technically or the goal, just in terms of the importance of this game, this was all just fucking force of will and uh, got us right back into the game at a critical time, basically halftime and re kind of reset the emotional balance of this game. So it was absolutely huge. Yeah. I, I it it was superb. I think he did a lot of good things, and but I think he struggled. He was going to struggle in this game in terms of connecting midfield. I don't think. I again, I don't think we can make too many judgments. I know we there's a lot of of data from previous games, but it's kind of all new. This is a new squad, same manager, new squad, uh, new setup, new options. Uh, some familiar patterns we're seeing, but but still, this isn't the game. I don't think Liverpool's the game, and I don't think this is the game. You say, oh, oh well, I, I kind of know how this one is going to end. Mm-hmm.
0: But, well, so, all right, so that's Locks Echo with, with respect yeah. to the Obama angle. I mean, I have to admit that. Look, let's not pretend we don't all have our biases, and we don't have all have confirmation bias, and we don't all lean into them. We all do it. I just like to do everything to the extreme. You know, I, yeah. I I'm I'm living that that Red Bull lifestyle. So, you know, when he scores, my first thought is, oh, for fuck's sake, he's in the box three seconds and he's got a goal. It's right after Lacazette's taken off and Aubameyang goes through the middle. He makes that brilliant last shoulder run. The pass from Guendouzi, you can't say enough good things about it. But there's still, I mean, you're on the sprint running off the back shoulder in the space. It's still not like a cakewalk from there. And Aubameyang puts it in. I mean,
3: I, I, I think Aubameyang's, <laughs> run makes the assist. I mean... The run uh, makes the pass, does. yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I don't think most strikers get that. And I don't think it's because Yang's quick. That's his elite I mean,
0: skill, his movement into space.
3: Yeah, and, and when the surge comes and how, and then, uh, I mean, Yang's studs are pretty good. Uh, I think his success rate, uh, with shots coming off the studs, is astounding. Um, and they're not always straightforward tap-ins. I mean, this can go... We've seen him miss from six inches out, right, and manage to get it over the bar. Um, strikers generally, this isn't a gimme, but he makes it a gimme. Uh, and it's just... It's like half a second, and you just go, wow.
0: Mm, yeah, I mean, no shots in the first hour, four shots in the last 30 minutes, and I, I realize some of that is down to also the fact that we we're more on top of them. I have to say, you guys, like, I was... And I know they're going through a bit of a, a thing, and I, I know that they were missing some key players. Every time I watch Spurs, I can't help but think, this this is a team that was in the CL final. This is a team that, that you know was above us because they don't play football. When they're ahead, they foul. When they're behind, they dive. When sure. they have the what, ball, they kick it long. They can't play yeah. through the thirds. They don't have a. Well, mid- what
3: we give them, what we gave them in this game, is what they're really good at. Yeah,
0: and that, that you have to ask questions about that. Now, to be fair, you sure. know, when Loselso came on, that gave them up. a little more control. Loselso made a difference, and Domboli would have as well. Um, let's let's uh, just do this.
3: I, I do, do quickly want to say I think Sabalas fundamentally changed how we played and fundamentally changed I was about to ask this game. About
0: that, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, so so, Clive, if you don't mind picking up on on Paul's thread there, um, yep. just real quick. First of all, are we all in agreement that the cane dive is a dive?
2: Absolutely. Oh
0: well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it,
2: absolutely. You know what's shocking? Lou, Jonathan You've... Lou called it a brake test. Yeah. In Formula One, you know, you brake test the guy in front of you. I thought that's brilliant. He steps in front, stops. And then says to Socrates, can you stop? He's not even trying to go for the ball. And and thank goodness the referees are onto this trick now where he puts himself, he initiates a contact and it's becoming embarrassing. People say he's trying to take advantage of the situation where if he was anybody else, he would be called a diver.
0: Yeah, but he's England's Harry Kane. And I I have to say, I understand if you're a talentless prick like Deli Alley who's not good at football, that you throw yourself to the ground because the only thing you're good at. But if you are Harry Kane and you've won a Golden Boot and you're supposed to be one of the best strikers in the world, back yourself to do something. I just hate that that's his first instinct and it's coached right through their team. And, yeah, uh, Paul. And
3: he'd already got the penalty he was entitled to in a an NLD. So yeah, he already just scored a penalty. And to yeah. be fair,
0: he'd just been caught doing it the week before, for fuck's sake. But Clive, let's that's talk Sabyas. I think he made a difference. Mm. I think it. Helped us play further up the pitch. I think it quickened the tempo. That is what he likes to do. I'm still sort of weirded out by the fact that he does give the ball away a little more than I was expecting. I think he's gotta adjust to the speed of the Premier League. Um I think also his one for me, look, I think Tim would agree with me too, because he doesn't like this. His one footedness is a problem for me. I, I don't like it. I, I think he's got to use his left. Like he doesn't have to use his left fifty percent of the time. 5% of the time to make a pass would be fine. But he did change this game for the better. I think he gave Ganduzi more freedom as well. How did you feel he affected the game? And are you surprised that Captain Halftime subs has suddenly become a lot more conservative about using his substitutions, waited quite a while to do with this game, left one in his pocket, but Sabio certainly an important one?
2: Yeah, I think once Guendouzi went into a double pivot, I thought the game changed. And I thought Sobias, he just did a couple of little step overs in the middle, you know, just a couple of turns. And Sissoko went, okay, mate, you can have it. I'm not going to go near you because you're going to embarrass me. Winks always steps off as well. So it did become basically a midfield-less game. And so he could sit in front of their back eight. And just stroke the ball around, try to create angles. So it sort of suited him, as it would have done Ozil. And the Liverpool game did not suit him. He was run over by Henderson. And so I I like his talent. I like his personality. When he came on and took the shot and tried to lift the crowd. I like that. You have to look at this game in, in a different way to most other games. You really do. The fear of losing a derby in a stadium is just awful. You just feel sick. You know, you just feel sick. And players were doing everything to show the fans, that actually, we are not going to lose this game. And so they were doing everything in their power. I, I did like his performance in this game. I like what he does to other teams. I like how they step away. But there was still a hell of a lot of space in our midfield. So he didn't fix that problem you know we've got to we've got to work this out i think there's a player missing in there still and we have to decide how much we want to co- commit to protection versus what we're going to do on the ball i feel that Arsenal fans always talk about where we are defensively and they pick on people who don't do that job without really saying are we committed enough to defense have we got the right type of players are we prepared to take something away from our going forward by having a real defensive player there that's not a playmaker somebody that really walks on the pitch and says i'm going to stop you and i'm going to stop you here before you get anywhere near my defense and other teams have that player you know, a player that's focused on that protection role and not focused on anything else. And we ask that player to also be our best long passer and do a lot of protect which I don't think he's suited for. So we're either suited for a double pivot or we change how we commit in centre midfield to allow players like Zobias to not to do too much on the, reti- on the retreat. And we have to work that out soon. So there's a player missing and, and there's an upgrade coming for me next season. And um, there needs to be a player like that Ibrahim Zangari, that type of player that can come in and really perform a physical role that allows us to match those teams that are trying to overrun us and again what it does is it allows players the playmaking players to do just that you know and I think that's that's what we need to move to going forward I like you know and it, I think again I've said it I've said it already I just feel I just feel we're on the edge of something and I felt this game was almost, in some ways, I'm almost glad we didn't win it. From a, what would it have done to us? Would it make us think that we've already reached a promised land? I, I, think, I, I think, I think. I you derailed here, <laughs>
0: Clive. You're almost no, glad we didn't win it. It's well, not an analysis that fits I, I, with I, your I, usual level.
2: <laughs> I, I think, I think when I say that, I, I'm conscious of the fact that we can become over euphoric when we win, and 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 too critical when when we lose. And I think. If we'd have won this game, of course, I would have loved it. But I also think it would. This game did not solve problems. That's what I'm trying to say. It did I, not. I like solve you problems.
0: saying it better that way, personally.
2: Yeah, it did not. It did not solve problems. We've got as many problems still to resolve, and I hope that the coach can learn from this game and get us into a shape that brings out the best in in more of our players.
0: Yeah, no, that that is well said, and I take your point. I agree with you in that respect, And that. We got by in this game a lot more on just desire and individual pieces of skill than we did on tactical fluency and and coordination. So I, I'm with you on that. Um, one thing that I didn't mention, I'm going to row it back just for a second, and then Tim, you and I can pick the bones out of the rest of this. Uh, I didn't mention Socrates enough. It came up a little when Tim mentioned Adrian Clark's breakdown. But Shaka gets a lot of focus in this game for what he did, which was incredibly stupid and a terrible, terrible way to get, give away a second goal in a derby and, and could have lost it for us. But I think what Socrates does for the first goal is is in the category. He's in no man's land. He's running way up the pitch. He jumps with Shaka, but it's not even a real jump. He doesn't go and take everybody out of the play like a center back saying, screw you midfielder, I'm killing everybody here. He half-heartedly jumps then looks over his shoulder and watches everyone run away from him. He has plenty of pace to recover. He doesn't use it. I think that is the original sin that cost us that goal. And I think last season, because Mustafi was so bad, Socrates escaped focus. Because he had a few good games, and we were like, he's a new guy, so we weren't sure what we had, and he was a little faster than we expected. And we're like, okay, he was pretty good. I think this season we might be in for a bit of a wake-up call with how not good he maybe is, and that's something to keep an eye on. But, Tim, speaking of not good, let's talk Mkhitaryan. Um mm. I thought it was interesting that he was picked to come on. And admittedly, on this pod, I've said I think he's useful. You sort of saw what is useful about him. Mkhitaryan maybe got into more high-quality, dangerous positions in this short period Mm. of time he was on the pitch than every other player combined, and yet he might as well have been made of cement the way the ball was bouncing (laughs) off of him. He could not trap a ball within a yard of his body. He could not do a thing right. So here he is standing in acres of space, in the channel, on the wing, in the box, and couldn't do a thing right. I wonder what you think of his performance, and whether you are... At also, sort of curious about the decision to select him at all for for coming on, in light of the fact that he has been moved out of the club today.
1: Yeah, that's that's a weird one, isn't it? Because obviously, at, at the time, we didn't know, like, you know, didn't know anything about that at all. Yeah, so but they must have. did right? really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you've got to think at least contact had been made at that point, and you know, Reese Nelson's there on the bench as well, and. You know, we've obviously decided that Reece Nelson. We've got enough faith in Reece Nelson to get rid of Mikatarian in the first place. So, you know, um, yeah, so so use him. <laughs> Can can yeah? Can we can we trust him for twenty three minutes of a North London derby? Um, I you know I I don't know. I it's it's always difficult to speculate on the psychological. Um, Kind of side of it because we just don't know, and to be frank, we've seen this from Mkhitaryan before, so it's not, it's not, you know, it's not completely out of character. I do wonder if the fact that he came on on the left, I, I, I don't know why, but he just never ever looks as comfortable on the left to me, and you'd think that he should do because of like. You know, cutting in on his right foot and all of that, and didn't isn't that where he played for Dortmund? Where well, I, I don't really know to be honest. But I always had in my head that's where he played for Dortmund well, when he had. I think had he that. was sort
0: of their ten, wasn't he? Kind of a yeah, like Kevin yeah. De Bruyne mode, box to box ten kind of thing.
1: Yeah, 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 maybe, maybe. But I, I you know, I, I think on paper he should be a good inside forward for the left hand yes, side, you'd but. Think so. He, he seems to be much more comfortable on the right. But yeah, I mean, I think um, I, I don't know how advanced the deal was at that stage, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> by the end of the game, it was like, yeah, get Romer on the phone. <laughs> Let's get yeah. this done. Um, yeah, it's look, it's. I, the thing is with Mikatarian, right? Is I think I think he's a really talented player. I think I think there's real talent there. I think there's some really interesting attributes, but he just doesn't put it together enough. And doesn't execute. Yeah. No, no. And then there are some games when he does, and you think, yes, there's the player, and then he just kind of slips away again. So he actually, I tweeted about this today. He actually reminds me of like a precocious teenager, anyway, in that you can see ability, but he doesn't put it all together so yeah yeah so i'd rather an actual precocious teenager like i'm not sure reese nelson is a teenager anymore but near enough um or martinelli like if we're gonna have like a raw inconsistent and but quite talented wide player you know why not just give those minutes to to martinelli and and reese nelson and there's at least the hope that they can become something better and um, I'm pretty sure that put together their wages on even half of what Mkhitaryan's are on his own. So, yeah, um, it's it's not really worked out, has it? I mean, he's not been an absolute disaster, but it's it's not really worked out. And you know, despite the fact we used him quite a bit last season, I think you could see towards the end when, you know, Emery really kind of settled on having that front two and using wing backs. That that's also because he. You know, he just didn't believe that Mikatarian could put mm. it together enough. And, and you know, Mikatarian's had every chance because there was a time where I thought he was one of the few players we had who was actually suited to what Emery wants to do with those kind of wide forwards coming inside and playing almost as tens, you know, that's mkhitaryan that's that's like that's what he does that's what he is and he's one of the few players we had who was like a ready-made emery player and and he still couldn't do it um couldn't do it consistently enough so mm. um yeah but I, I think probably to be honest the salary is the big thing here it's just getting rid of that and <laughs> uh and, and going again and to be honest as, as much as um and i criticized emery maybe for not using young players quite enough i i I feel like Emery actually is the type of manager who'd quite like young players. And I think we're maybe seeing that a bit more this season because if he wants to be, you know, chameleon, tactically flexible and everything like that, um, actually young players, it can be easier to do that with young players. It, It can be easier to mold them. Ferguson did it with quite a few players, had them play like multiple positions. Louis van Gaal said that he loved working with academy players because basically they do what you, what you tell them to do. They're like an un, unshaped lump of clay. Um, and, you know, I, I think maybe, maybe Emery will, look, we all know what his first choice front three is going to be, but I, I think guys like Saka, Martinelli and Nelson will, will get some minutes now.
0: Yeah, and I mean, whether it's Emery choosing to do that or maybe there's a hand on his shoulder, kind of strongly suggesting it, that's more conspiracy conspiracy theory stuff, but we'll see what it is. I I will say that, you know, Paul, we, we just have a couple moments here to wrap up, but the game kind of got drunk in the last 10 minutes. I think we were knackered from the energy we expended trying to get back into it, and it got really open. And if we're being totally honest, we're maybe lucky we didn't lose it with the last kick of the game. Um, you know, there, there were a couple moments there where they had like five on three, four on one. I mean, it was just... a uh, up and down, totally open, drunk game for about eight ten minutes at the end. There, I think we were totally knackered. Do you worry a little bit about that, or is that just Darby stuff for you that the game just turned into a street fight? I mean, literally there was there was fighting towards the end, and that the, the players were knackered, and and Darby's some, sometimes finish this way because everybody wants to to win, and everybody's given maybe put out too much energy in the first eighty minutes.
3: Yeah, uh, I, I I think it was just uh, uh, a. a cluster at the end and I think but the problem is what do you do as managers if you withdraw your team on if you're emory and you you start playing a little bit more cautious um you you've been so leaning so far the other way, you're probably not going to do it right. So you just kind of got to go with the flow. I I, I got to give uh, Harry Kane some props. Do we ever do that? No, please that don't. was in this, that was an astounding strike off the post. And we, we should remember, remember that, but we had plenty of our own good situations where we could have polished it off. But yeah, the last 10 minutes, they were as like, we had the, the, the dominant position, but they probably had the, Two or so best chances. Fortunately, it fell to Sissoko. I think at the end of the day, yeah, uh, I think that that was our brilliance, making sure he was the guy unmarked. I don't know what, I think it was Erickson who passed it to him, and you'd think he'd know better. You'd think he'd just say, no, hang on a second, I'll stand on the ball and find anybody else. Um, Uh, Yeah, go ahead. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, all I was so, going to say is I just think, you know, we've been complaining for a while about we want to create more chances. Yes, the game was drunk at the end, and no, we don't want it to be that open and, ha- and lack that much control, but 17 shots in the second half, give me that all day long, and I'll watch that football, you know what I mean? So Yeah,
3: and it really ramped up with Ceballos, who again got off another great shot, which is, uh, you know, he doesn't have a huge goals and assists uh, history, but... But he could really come into his own, yeah. and I think if we get if we manage to get him into our three our three in midfield, whatever that's called, uh, we're going to have a fun season. Fun season, yeah. No matter what the structure, and and it was it was a fun set. Look, it was a bloody great game. I don't think uh, it was a well played
0: game, but yes, no. I agree with that. It was it was entertaining. At least the second half was better. Look, the only thing I'll add is I don't think the fullbacks were very good. I think Kolasinac did a lot of Kolasinac stuff, which is sometimes he's bombing down the wing, but he's not doing much with it. And I thought Maitland-Niles played really within himself in this game for the most part. I do start to think that when Bellerin and Tierney are back, Pepe and Aubameyang in a formation like this will look a lot more devastating. I think better fullback play will unleash the front three a little more too. I think we're a little hamstrung by that situation. We got to go. I do want to tell you, it is an international break. If you have ever wanted to try our Patreon, and again, if you don't, no worries, we love you, we're, we're super appreciative to have you here listening to this, and we will put more of these free pods out, of course, but we're going to do the deluge, the avalanche of stuff over on Patreon during the international break to help everybody get through it. So while we will definitely have another free pod out, no worries, uh, we're going to have a lot of new concepts that we're trying out on Patreon in the next two weeks. So if you thought, you know what, I'll give them a try, this might be the time to do it, and if not, no worries, we appreciate you anyway. Paul's on Twitter, pause in my pants, thanks, pause. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter, Clive P-A-F-C, thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter. Stoberta, thanks, Tim. My pleasure. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner. Who do we play next? Sheffield.
1: Watford. Watford. Watford.
0: I knew that. Yeah. Give me. Give us a five star review right now. The things about Scott. He'll be back eventually too. And we will talk to you after Arsenal. Ten. Watford. Mills.